Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> you are there. Um, first of all, um, I really appreciate the invitation to participate um, in this panel, which um, um, observes the anniversary of the 67 war and the beginning of the Israeli occupation of Palestine um, with um, renewed analyses and, and critique. I uh, very much uh, appreciate it being able to um, hear all of the, the presentations. And I have to apologize that, uh, that, um, that I have a cold. Um, and um, I'm coming directly from another conference. So I might be a bit disoriented. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I um, literally just left the um, annual conference of the National Women Studies Association, uh, which is taking place in Baltimore. And of course, the feminist notion of intersectionality was probably invoked thousands of times uh, during the weekend. <laughs> and in fact, the person uh, who is usually cited as the originator of the term, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, was one of the presenters. And it's interesting that you also mentioned um, um, Fran Beale, uh, 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 one of the um, activists uh, who helped to initiate a, a trajectory uh, that um, has seemed to come to a standstill with the concept intersectionality. Fran Beale was also present uh, at the conference. Uh, and I'm referring to her 1970 article entitled um, Double Jeopardy to be Black and Female. Um, this trajectory uh, toward uh, the, the notion of intersectionality and has insisted that feminist scholarly inquiry and feminist organizing practice, practices need to attend to the multiply determined, very complexly configured processes that produce and reproduce our worlds. Given the scholarly activist framework that was established uh, for the NWSA conference. Uh, uh, and I should tell you that, uh, that the theme of that conference, I was actually looking for your theme in the book. Do you, does this conference have a theme? No. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, sh I, I should tell you that this, I think, is my fourth or fifth conference in the last uh, couple of weeks. That's one of the reasons I have a cold. Uh, uh, and all of them had themes. <laughs> there was the 10th the um, anniversary of the Collegium of Black Women Philosophers. Uh, uh, there, there was the American uh, Studies Association last weekend in Chicago. And of course, the NWSA, whose theme is um, um, 40 years uh, uh, since the um, Combahee River Collective Statement uh, 
um, something about bringing scholarly and activist um, voices together. I'll have to consult the uh, program to, to be precise uh, in, in, in the theme. But, um, but what I wanted to share with you that at that conference um, on uh, f feminist women's and gender studies, the, um, the evocation of Palestine was quite regular in the plenaries and in, 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 in the panels and roundtables and informal sessions of the, 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 the conference. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm aware that uh, Mesa has not yet uh, joined the professional organizations uh, that have uh, produced resolutions in support of the academic and cultural, but perhaps I'm wrong. No, no, no. you're right. No, I, I saw a puzzled expression that said, well, perhaps the resolution was passed uh, an hour ago or so, at your last plenary. Yeah. Um, but I, be, precisely because the, the notion of intersectionality is invoked in the um, resolution that was passed in December of 2015 by NWSA. I want to share just a brief uh, portion of that, um, a brief uh, section of that resolution with you. As feminist scholars, activists, teachers, and public intellectuals, we recognize the interconnectedness of systemic forms of oppression. In the spirit of this intersectional perspective, we cannot overlook the injustice and violence, including sexual and gender-based violence perpetrated against Palestinians and other Arabs in the West Bank, Gaza Strip, within Israel, and in the Golan Heights, Golan Heights, as well as the colonial displacement of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians during the 1948 Nakba. And so I'm thinking of these, the, 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 the two anniversaries, the anniversary that we are observing with this panel and the anniversary uh, observed by the NWSA conference um, over in Baltimore. Um, uh, an anniversary that, both anniversaries mark important historical moments in the very long trek toward freedom. Yeah. There are some struggles in the world that have resonated globally. Uh, and I'm not saying that, uh, that there are not those that should resonate more. For example, uh, indigenous people's struggles. After all, we are meeting on colonized land. And we have not yet learned how to uh, retain that in our memory. I was actually referring to the reverberations of black struggles that have certainly um, been felt around the world. Not so much 
Or not at all, rather, because there's something intrinsically valuable or special about black human beings. But because the West has never fully acknowledged the, the, um, the, the long, um, uh, the long trajectory of traumas and dislocations and stru structural continuities of genocide associated with slavery and colonization. The afterlives of colonization and slavery allow for the periodic eruption of the most violent forms of white supremacy while keeping alive the deep structural elements of, of racism and heteropatriarchy that continue to inform the institutions of our society. And so therefore we have to talk about freedom once again. And I think black struggles resonate in the way they do precisely because there has been this centuries old um, um, need to constantly remind the world that we need to figure out how to get free. And of course, um, the um, assumptions of American exceptionalism have persuaded too many people in, that this country is the center of the world. Uh, and I, I, have, I have a hard time understanding how it has been possible to retain that illusion. Uh, and, and to reconcile oneself to the fact that it is not important to consider what is happening in other places and other parts of the planet, uh, that, that the relation, even of those uh, who consider themselves to be um, rebels or, or um, um, activists, is to instruct those in other parts of the world how to go about their particular struggles. Uh, uh, but, um, but I would like to, 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 to think about the fact that, uh, that every pivotal moment in the history of this country has, had, has borne a clear relationship to global events. Uh, the, the 60s and 70s, and of course there was the Vietnam War, uh, the 80s and 90s, the anti-apartheid movement. Uh, uh, and then in the aughts and tens, the effort to stave off Islamophobia and anti-Arab Arab racism. And so in my own imagination, and, I, and you have to indulge me uh, here, um, uh, I think of uh, an, 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 an alternate um, time, an alternate trajectory, rather, in which uh, uh, we are really supposed to be witnessing the era of the dismantling of the Israeli occupation of Palestine. This is what is supposed to be happening now. Um, uh, 
And I say that remembering very vividly uh, the passage of Revolution, uh, Resolution 3379 in 1975 at the uh, United Nations, uh, which um, recognized Zionism as a form of racism and um, racial discrimination, which, of course, was an, we might call an intersectional um, insight. This was supposed to be the beginning of a trajectory toward Palestinian freedom. For those of us struggling against racism in the U.S. and apartheid in South Africa, this was a pivotal moment. It allowed us to recognize the interrelationality of these contexts and these struggles, and it meant that all of these struggles were intertwined. In 1991, the UN repealed the resolution. And of course, the symbolic significance of the repeal of the resolution at that particular time uh, bears acknowledging. Uh, this is the Reagan, you remember Ronald Reagan <laughs> in the 1980s, uh, Bush. Uh, the Reagan-Bush era. This is the period during which we're witnessing the consolidation of global capitalism. Uh, and, and as a person who is engaged both on scholarly and activist terms with uh, the prison crisis, mass incarceration, I've always thought it was important to invoke the global contexts uh, within which uh, the soaring prison populations uh, develop in the U.S., uh, in which uh, the, the numbers of, 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 of institutions uh, increase around the country. I've always thought that it's important to point out that this was precisely the period of the rise of privatization in the wake of assaults on institutions um, designed to um, mitigate human suffering and to create the conditions of possibility for um, better uh, futures. And I'm thinking about the corporatization, privatization of healthcare and, 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 and education and the rise of the neoliberal assumptions uh, regarding um, the primacy of the individual as the only imaginable social unit, uh, the isolated individual, uh, 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 the individual who must bear responsibility uh, uh, for everything in uh, uh, the world so that poverty is the responsibility of the poor individual, uh, uh, so that um, um, you know, racism uh, and um, misogyny, on the other hand, uh, are the responsibilities of defective individuals uh, who can uh, uh, become uh, less racist by, um, I don't know, attending an unlearning racism workshop or something like that. Or, uh, 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 and uh, uh, this is the period during which we see the well, the, 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 the 
continued demonization of communists, but at the same time, the um, interestingly articulated demonization of criminals, uh, which leads to the demonization of terrorists uh, on a mass scale. And I think there's um, a very interesting connection between these modes of demonization, which unfortunately we don't have time to explore here. But because neoliberal discourse encourages the isolation and sequestration of issues and problems as well as of people and communities, there is a tendency to treat particular struggles as discrete and disconnected. Uh, um, Thus, even though the black struggle has echoed around the world, it is assumed to have a very discrete terrain. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, when Dr. King many years ago deigned to speak out against the war in Vietnam, he was told that that was uh, not his province, that he, he should, he should uh, um, talk about what he knew, uh, you know, which was the black civil rights movement. Uh, um, the sort of hyper-sequestration of Palestine and the assumption that the conflict was far too complicated for lay people to apprehend, helped to shift Palestine away from frameworks that sought connections and interrelations in the era of the globalization of capital. And this, I think, is what the repeal of Resolution 3379 was designed uh, to accomplish. Uh, I want to um, to talk about um, the a way in which uh, the the linking of the Palestine solidarity movement with certain movements within the U.S. um, has um, perhaps assisted those movements, or I want to very particularly talk about the abolition movement, to acquire a consciousness that would not have been possible without the articulation of of Palestine and um, the... um, movement against uh, the prison industrial complex. Um, um, And I can also speak about the academic iteration of uh, of those um, insights, the emergence of an academic field, interdisciplinary field that is um, often referred to as critical prison studies. Uh, which interestingly um, has to um, think of itself as a field that is focused on a particular object which it wants to abolish. Uh, And it's a very different 
situation uh, for scholars who usually have a, a very possessive relationship with the object of their, their study. Uh, um, um, but Palestine plays um, a major role. The, 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 the movement in solidarity with Palestine, uh, the uh, support for BDS, played a major role in um, deepening and corroborating abolitionist uh, strategy. And I mention this uh, because if one looks at the extent to which the the campaign against um, mass incarceration has developed into uh, um, a campaign that virtually everyone in the country is familiar with uh, over a relatively short period of time. Um, uh, and, and this includes, of course, uh, right-wing uh, groups that uh, speak out against mass incarceration uh, because they see it as the, the largest uh, project of the government. And, you know, what do they want? Smaller government, right? And, and one way of achieving this is to um, uh, begin a process of decarceration. Uh, now, what do they plan to do with people who are in prison whom they want to decarcerate? Um, well, they have um, they have some ideas in mind which uh, involve uh, um, all kinds of um, uh, carceral technologies that would be extended uh, into the larger community and into the home. Of course, the you know ankle bracelets and uh, and you know all of those. Things. Um, Abolitionists argue that um, that not so much that it is necessary to uh, simply um, uh, minimize the numbers of people who are in prison, uh, but rather to create a society which no longer relies on these institutions of punishment. And, and this means that we cannot myopically look at these institutions and figure out how to get rid of them and leave the rest of the society intact. Uh, but rather the shift has to be uh, toward uh, all of the social transformation that is necessarily in order that is necessary in order to produce a world that is no longer so reliant on imprisonment and the use of policing uh, for the production of, of of security. Now, if one looks at Palestine, this is totally self-evident. It is uh, absolutely. Possible to address the problem of imprisonment without looking at the larger uh, society. Uh, there are currently over 70,000 Palestinian prisoners, uh, and over the years, virtually every family has been affected by political imprisonment. Uh, um, 
and since uh, 1976, more than 800,000 Palestinians from the West Bank and Gaza have been imprisoned. Uh, so, and I could give you the, uh, you know, Sahar Francis is, is the person uh, who uh, uh, has uh, um, produced all of this compelling evidence, uh, uh, even more compelling than the, in the U.S. regarding uh, um, abolition. But, but certainly, um, if we call the U.S. a prison nation, and this is a term uh, that has acquired more currency recently, then a Palestine under Israeli occupation is certainly the worst possible example of a carceral society. And it is by looking at Palestine that we learn not to trust reform strategies uh, uh, that call for ankle bracelets, that call for house arrests, and the extension of... of, of in, Increasing numbers of carceral uh, strategies uh, uh, to uh, our communities, and I know that I have um, I've um, uh, exhausted my time uh, limit. Uh, but I would, you know, I'm thinking about um, I'm thinking about I thought about June Jordan uh, when, because you evoked her uh, in your uh, introduction, uh, and if. If uh, one wants to think about the the um, process of uh, of Palestine becoming um, an issue that one can speak about uh, uh, intersectionally and that one can uh, uh, connect with uh, various uh, uh, struggles, uh, uh, then June Jordan is the person uh, that one must think. Uh, and I thought that that I would uh, just, you know, perhaps uh, uh, re remind you of that uh, amazing poem she wrote in the in a collection called Living Room, Living Room, and the poem is uh, called Moving Toward Home, and. She writes, I need to speak about living room where the talk will take place in my language. I need to speak about living room where my children will grow without horror. I need to speak about living room where the men of my family between the ages of 6 and 65 are not marched into a roundup that leads to the grave. I need to talk about living room where I can sit without grief without wailing aloud for my loved ones, where I must not ask, where is Abu Fadi? Because he will be there beside me. I need to talk about living room because I need to talk about home. I was born a black woman and now I am become Palestinian against the relentless laughter of evil. There is less and less living room. And where are my loved ones? It is time to make our way home. Yeah. Yeah.